just wanted to share some things with you today uh, with reference to women in ministry. And, and I'm, I'm going into dangerous territory as soon as I use the word woman. Because you know why? I'm a man. <laughs> so there's always, there's always something that happens there. But I, I really want to uh, deal with something in issues because we've made some changes in the church. And we'd like to inform you about some of the things that we've, we've done. And it hasn't been just recent, but it's been over the years. But we never really took the time to explain some of the things that took place. So before the arrival of Pastor Derry here at Amherst Christian Church, we did not ordain women. We had no, we would not ordain women. Why not? Why is that? Is because we had and do have a male eldership that oversees the church. And in our thinking, for some reason, we always took elder with pastor. And so what happens now is you begin to eliminate women from ministry if, that's, if you take that egalitarian uh, position. So how did it work? Well, it worked pretty good. Uh, we had a, a good thing. We never said pastors Ron and, and Donna, for example, my, my late wife, and yet she ministered here as an administrator and did an incredible job. But we, we never talked about that. Oh, here's Pastor Don, or here's Pastor Dolly, or whatever it may be. They were just happy to do what they did, and, and uh, with you know, whatever they were, they were simply uh, a pastor's or elder's wife, as normally understood in society and and the Bible, for that matter. On several occasions, some of the women uh, would come up to me, one or two, and we'd always have some. There's always some ladies, and, and say, how's the men's club doing? And I'd say, what do you mean a men's club? Say, how's the men's club doing? You got, you got all of these guys that are doing stuff, and, and uh, we don't have the women in leadership here. And I thought, well, what do you mean? I think they're doing pretty good. And the women headed up women's ministries. They were running the school. They were doing a number of things, but there was always somebody that had something that was, I might say, negative. And sometimes I wonder about those things. But our wives had uh, no pressure on them to compete uh, with their husbands or with anybody else. They were just happy to be the women that God called them to be. It was pretty simple. And again, um, they loved God. They honored their husbands. And we had, what shall I say, all was peaceful in Churchville. Never had a major problem in Churchville. It was good. We all, we all kind of got along. We smiled. We had a good time. So what happened? However, and by the way, I want to talk about the, the authority and power of women for just a moment. I don't know if you gals realize that, but, you know, there's all kinds of stuff out there that says, my husband's the head. But women are the neck that turns the head. You ever hear that? Did you know that's true? You realize how much influence you have as a wife? 
in in your in your home i mean really uh, it's it's just normal that's the way it it usually is our wife winds up and we have a great marriage i have had a couple of great marriages here and i'm one i'm still in with the pastor dairy of course but you know it's uh it's a good thing to be able to have friendship companionship uh you know the normal we'll call it uh relationships that a husband and wife have and have a counselor besides and my wife dairy pastor dairy or where dairy always says listen to the cautions of your wife listen to the cautions of your wife do i always do that no Come on. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, you know, there are things that come up, and I think this is overcautious, if you might put it that way. So what took place was, uh, and I want to talk about, we're talking about the authority of women uh, in society. And, and before we had all of these women movements and all, I just want you to know that women carried the respect of their husband or the authority of their husband wherever they went. It's really interesting. I go back to this. It's hard to forget these things. But my brother Richie, who was an AVCB, was killed in an accident at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. We called the Red Cross, wanted to get some of his friends home. So, close friends. So we called the Red Cross, nothing. We called the Catholic Church. That's what we were part of, attended at that time. They were useless. Then we called Aunt B. That's my aunt, uh, my aunt B, who uh, happened to be the wife of General Diamond. And all of a sudden, everything changed. We couldn't find out what was going on with him, where his remains were. Nothing when Aunt B got involved. She made a call to the Army or whoever else that she made a call for. They called the Navy. They called the Air Force. Before you know it, we had people being flown in at the government's expense from Spain, the West Coast. And then came the wake, the funeral. You had never seen so much brass at a funeral. A couple of captains were there, uh, commanders, all kinds of uh, people of, of note that had come in. And I don't know if it had anything to do with my cousin, uh, Kathy there, who was also married to Admiral Thatcher's son. Anybody know the, the name Admiral Thatcher probably doesn't mean much to you folks today, but Admiral Thatcher was uh, one of the uh, commanding airmen uh, at, uh, he wasn't an admiral at that time, during the Battle of Midway. <clears throat> and he's the guy that decide, or discovered that when on the tail of a Japanese zero, that, or rather when he, uh, they were on his tail, if he made a left-hand turn, that the Japanese zero would float. It couldn't make the turn because the engine was too powerful in one direction. And once they figured that out, they were able to knock him out of the sky pretty easily. 
So at any rate, <clears throat> all I can say is this. When we got to that funeral, all the people, not one of those officers missed going over to my aunt, paying their respects. That's a lot of power. Was she ever in the military? No. Did she ever go to West Point? No. So then how come she had so much authority that she could make a simple call and everybody jumps to it? Where the Catholic Church, the Red Cross, and anybody else that was out there was useless, literally. Had no authority whatsoever. So the answer is that it's just common that we carry with us as a, as a woman... Now, we, that's a good, not a good word to use talking about what I'm talking about, is it? Because I'm not we woman. Uh, I mean, how do you say that? Women carry a lot of authority, and they carry the authority of their husband. And today, of course, we have some really, uh, you know, in our own church here, we have some women that are executives in various places and do a, a great job. And uh, we're, we're blessed with that. So let's go back now to where I'm going with this. Um, and that is not recognizing the risk to our, our lives. Our elders ordained Pastor Derry. Okay, this is a first for us. Why did we do that? Why take a risk of doing something like that? We really didn't give it much thought, but got some brave elders here and said, you know what, we're, we're going to ordain her. Well, uh, she was, uh, well, well, we'll just go through a couple of things. Did we ordain her because she had a um, master's in theology from a Presbyterian seminary? that she had a doctorate that after that in uh, chaplaincy. Is that why we ordained her? Well, she certainly looked qualified. But does that qualify a person? I want you to think about something in the church. The church, there's only one person that guarantees or qualifies people in the church, and that's the Lord himself, the Spirit of God. You know, Jesus could have gone on to some Pharisees. Paul is one of the exceptions that we have. But normally speaking, he picked fishermen, right? He picked tax collectors. He picked a bunch of people that you and I probably would never pick. He picked people like us. And he had his, his difficulties with them, but it turned out okay, didn't it? Kind of worked out. Why? Because he had something that other people didn't have. They had an anointing on their life. They had a calling on their life. So, uh, well, maybe we should have ordained Pastor Derry because um, she was sent to us. Did you know she was sent to... Where are you, Derry? Over there. Okay, honey. She, if you want to take a look at her later on, just tell her she's a gift. Okay. Literally, she was ordained and sent here as a gift from the churches in Grass Valley, California, and that's by 14 pastors. While she was out there, she was asked to head up the Pastors Association. She turned it down because she didn't feel that that was right for a woman to have 
authority over all of these pastors. And quite frankly, I think that they wanted to give her that job because they didn't want to do it themselves. That's like trying to uh, herd cats. It's, it's impossible, just about. So, was that the reason? Nope. That wasn't the reason. Well, what was the reason? Because she was anointed. Because God had given her a gift in chaplaincy that was incredible. She could do things with people, and still does, in five minutes that it would take me months to do, if I could ever do it myself. Why is that? Because she has an ability to work with people that I don't have that anointing to do, but she does. Did we, did we anoint her or make her pastor because she had uh, uh, prayed and raised two people from the dead? Nope. That wasn't the reason. That wasn't our reason for doing that. Why is that? Well, that certainly shows that she had an anointing. But the whole point is, if anything, we could say, yeah, you know what? God uses her. She's a, a woman of God. So I, I'm glad we have Pastor Derry today. So now, when we did this, you have to understand that there were consequences that took place. There were people that... Well, a few people anyway that left the church because they didn't want to have a woman pastoring or preaching to men. How do you ladies feel about that? In other words, you mean, you? okay, you're all going to be quiet. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's safe. That's a good thing to do. Okay. But, you know, just when well, you have a woman in, in, your, in your pulpit, uh, and I, I, I don't want to be in that church if you let a woman preach. Isn't that crazy? So I want to move on a little bit here. I want to say this about ministry, whether it's men or it's women or it's a, a young person. Character is the most important thing that I look for. Why is that? Because no matter what gift God gives us, that gift doesn't really reach its potential apart from character. And I want to look at this for a moment. I don't know if you've ever uh, considered this here, but um, 1 Corinthians 13. You all know that's the passage on love we have for all the things, but I want you to take a look at this for a moment, if we can. And it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have what? Love. Okay, now here's what I want to talk to you about love. Have you ever considered that love is directly related to character? God so loved the world, what did he do? He sent his only begotten son, didn't he? And what did that son do? Well, he died for us, was obedient to the Father. He showed the love of the God to us the ministry of God to us. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He did a lot of things. Why? Because he loves us. So as you start going through this passage, you begin to realize that looking at love here, we're actually looking at the character of a person. And it kind of works out here as we read. It says here, if I speak with the 
tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But what does that got to say? We have a lot to say sometimes. We know a lot. We can quote scripture. We can do many, many things. But if we don't have love, it's just a bunch of noise. It's just noise. And it goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Why is that? Because all of these things need to be ministered with a particular attitude of caring, of consideration, of, well, just empathizing with and understanding and risking yourself sometimes. You know, love is a risk. I don't know if you know that. There's a lot of marriages that really could, what shall I say, need to take some risk. But why don't they risk going deeper, opening up to one another in a, in a household? Why, are we, why do we hide behind our weaknesses? Because we're afraid. We're afraid we'll get rejected. We've suffered rejection in the past. Now all of a sudden we're going to take a, sh a shot here and expose ourselves. So we hide ourselves, even from the people we love. We kind of mess things up that way because there's no, what shall I say, intimacy that should be there simply because we're afraid. What are we afraid of? Being, having fun made of us? Being shot down? I remember one couple I was counseling for marriage and uh, in fact, Derry and I were doing this and they came in and it was so funny. They, they have a great marriage, by the way, now. They're doing great. And they, that marriage has gone over 10, 12 years at this point in time. And one of the things that was interesting was when they came for counseling, the, the, the gal, very nice, very nice lady, very well-educated, intelligent, et cetera, et cetera, said, well, I'm having a problem in our communication, and uh, and I I really don't like sharing with my intended husband here, because um, every time he disagrees with me, he tells me I'm ridiculous. In other words, I share this, and he says that's ridiculous. And she says, so every time I share something, and he says it's ridiculous, I feel like I'm knocked down. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not respected. So we told him, don't say that she's ridiculous anymore. And he didn't. And everything worked out fine. Can you imagine that? Just a simple thing, but she was afraid to say that to him, but in counseling she did. You know, that wasn't really counseling, premarital education, we call it. So, love. It says here, if I give all my possessions to the poor... If I have, uh, what should I say, a faith so as I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, I don't have love, it's nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And now we go on to love is patient. It is. It's kind. 
It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. I like that. It's not provoked. That's a, that's a good, good thing to, to recognize. It tells you a little bit something about your fuse. Everybody has a fuse, they say. And you might say that some fuses are longer than others and some fuses are short. And one of the things that we do in marriage education, we help people lengthen their fuse. And how do we do that? Well, that's part of marriage education. You have to go to that to find out. So what we do is we try to get that character in people so that why do people have a fuse? Why do they explode? Think about it. Because you're being challenged. You're being, you, something's happening, something's said, or you hear something that is, what shall I say, challenging you or attacking you. So what do you do? You go on the defense. And once you hear something the wrong way and you go on the defense, I want to tell you, you don't hear anything else. You are not open to hearing a single thing because you are in protection mode. All of the endorphins and other things have been released in your body, and that's just the way it is. So if we can prevent that from happening, we can go a, a long way in having a better relationship with anyone, especially our spouse and, and our kids. So again, we get down to love. And it says it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, and it never fails. I love that. It never fails. Also, if there are gifts of prophecy, I love this here. That, uh, that, well, we'll just say this. They'll be done away with. If their tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes... The partial will be done away. By the way, the perfect is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, we have uh, different groups that interpret that as, well, that's the Bible. Well, no, it's not the Bible. It's, it's Jesus. It's a person. He goes on to say a couple of other things about, about love and how it works. And notice this. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away what was childish things. For now, we see in a mirror, but... Dimly, mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then we'll know fully just as I've also been known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I want you to think about love as the key fruit, if you would, in the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to think of it here as identifying or identifying our character. Because that's what it does. And then from that character flows all of these other things from love and how we interact with people and what we do. So what moved all of our male leadership to ordain a woman? From a, again, uh, from an egalitarian, a straight view, a very narrow view, um, a biblical view of uh, men in the Bible, uh, we can say that uh, 
For example, one of the qualifications of an elder is that they be the husband of one wife. You can't change that. So it's definitely that you have an eldership. And elders are the husband of one wife. Secondly, the word for elder is also thought of as what? When you hear elder, do you think about pastor? Do you think about a pot? What do you think about? All of these different things. So as soon as we start taking that word and we start translating it differently, we wind up with, you don't have women in any ministry. You've just about knocked them out of everything. Why? Well, if an elder is a pastor, then and, and, a, and a, a, an elder has to be a man, then they can't be a woman, woman can they? I mean, it's just logical. If they're a, a pastor, an elder, and an elder is a man, and an evangelist, and if the evangelist is an elder, then you can't have a woman who's an evangelist. I just think of Amy Simpleton. She uh, uh, was one of the founders of, founder of Foursquare Church. And one of the interesting things is she had a tremendous ministry. But when I look at her ministry, definitely she's an evangelist. Is she an elder? No. Did she qualify as an elder? No, nope, she's a woman. Well, great ministry. I remember being there with Catherine Kuhlman and sitting out there with uh, uh, my friend who was a good friend of hers and brought her in down to uh, this big meeting. And I'm sitting there and you, I think to myself, you know what? Here she is teaching. And I didn't really think much of her teaching, by the way. She always taught not because it was wrong, but it only came from a gift side. In other words, it, it wasn't really a teaching on faith. And in the end, uh, she actually called all the robbers every day for him to pray for her, to get her through her sickness. Now, I'm not saying that that's weakness. I'm just saying it was because really it wasn't a ministry of faith. It was an anointing that was on her life. And that anointing was to heal and to do a lot of things. But in other places, it is. So you got to remember, you have to have a broader view of things than that view that you have through your own ministry. So again, we look at the word uh, elder in the Greek New Testament, and okay, New Testament, presbyterios. The word, uh, it denotes seniority. It's used in reference to the Jewish elders of the synagogue, usually associated with the scribes and the Pharisees. And it denotes certain persons appointed to hold office in the Christian church and to exercise spiritual oversight over the flock entrusted to them. From the reference of Acts 14, 23, and 2017, it may be inferred that churches generally had elders appointed over them and that elders and bishops were in apostolic and sub-apostolic times. The same is now almost universally admitted. In all New Testament references, their functions are identical. So the, the thing is most probable, according to this uh, one reference that I looked up here, is that um, it refers mainly the word elder refers mainly to the person and bishop to the office and, you know, presbyter, uh, bishop. So in other words, you got the same word 
One says what they do, another one is who they are. Now, I hope that doesn't add to confusion here, but what I'm trying to say to you is the elder is a presbyter. It, it says what he does, all right, church government. In essence, and now this is really interesting. Think about the church today. Think, this church, when it started how many years ago, we had women, our women wore veils. Seriously. You came in, they wore veils. Everybody covered their head. Why? Because the woman's not to be uncovered. So they had, and as I think one of the church founders wrote, fathers, I should say, wrote many, many years ago, first century. Then what happened is the veils would get longer and longer. It was kind of funny because some really rebellious people ladies came in and the interesting thing was that now instead of just having a head covering their head covering was the biggest of all head coverings if you follow me and uh, apparently that happened back in the first century too it's kind of funny but you tr you know we went through all of these different things why because that's what we learned and I guess that's part of the big message today is that we come from backgrounds and we all have a, a preset understanding of things and that's okay but one thing I think we ought to do is we ought to be able to take a look at the things that we believe and examine them again in the light of the scriptures and what's what really is it just that we've accepted this you know this is the way it was this is the way it is I know for us for most people that's what we do we just take things the way they are, and then, but then we build on that. But we never look to see if that foundation was a solid foundation to begin with. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if you're going to change your mind, let it be changed by the Word of God, and let it be in context. Let it be accurately uh, read through both Old and New Testaments. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, to accurately divide the word of truth. It's a hard thing to do, as a matter of fact. I, I believe it's impossible uh, without the Holy Spirit. You, you can't do that. You can just come up with doctrines you hear, and you go back and forth. So I want to talk about this here. What does God say about women in ministry? Well, we had a big change that took place, and we go back... 800, actually 2,800 years back to the prophet Joel. And here's the prophet Joel, and there's been this devastation that has come upon Israel. They've never seen anything like it. There's been a plague of locusts. They've had three different types of locusts that came, even to the extent that they ate the bark off the trees. There's nothing green left. There's nothing left growing. One group comes in, one, we'll call it uh, infestation, and then the second, and each one of them has a never, another devastating effect. And so Israel goes into judgment, but then what happens is God in his mercy promises to restore them. That's kind of like, well, praise the Lord. 
So what does it say? So the prophet Joel, I was reading through Joel. I've been studying Joel, some things in Job over the last uh, several months. But the prophet Joel speaks of a time of restoration of the land and the nation following that devastation that took place. And we read in Acts chapter 2, where Peter now, on the day of Pentecost, quotes him directly. Peter quotes Job directly. We remember what happened. They're in the upper room. There is, they're gathered there. Why? Because Jesus told them to gather there. He said, wait, don't, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until you receive power from on high. And then it comes. They're up there praying, 120 of them. By the way, men and women together praying. They weren't separated like they are in the conservative Jewish uh, traditions as they are today or in other different religions that we have like Islam. But they're all praying together. And suddenly there's this sound. And it sounds like a rushing wind just roaring. It's so loud. People are gathering outside. What is this all about? They're hearing this wind blow. And then suddenly on them, fire comes down, tongues of fire, distributing themselves on them. They begin to speak in other tongues. And Peter comes out because they all want to know what's happening. Because these people have come in from all over the world, the known world, to be there for the Feast of Pentecost. It's a time when you talk about devout people, people who know the word of God coming together. And in that day, the spirit of God is poured out. Who's it poured out on? Well, let's see. But this is what was spoken, Peter says, through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says the Lord, that I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons, and your daughters shall prophesy. That's a gift. And your young men shall see visions. That's a gift. Your old men shall dream dreams. I do that all the time. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. Look, there's no boundaries here. Slaves get prophesied over. Equality comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes to all people while they're all being gifted. You got it? In other words, God is gifting them and anointing them to do the things that we see here. He goes on to say, even on my bond servants, I love that, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I'll grant wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth below. Blood and fire, vapor and smoke, and the sun be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord come. Well, folks, that's the time we're living in now. And, you know, one of the things that's difficult in the the egalitarian viewpoint, in a sense what it does, that means this very strict uh, viewpoint, what it does is eliminates 50% of the body of Christ. Think about it. Women are 50% of the body of Christ, or maybe even more. But why would you want to take that and lose that gifting to your church and to, and, and to your, your community? And yet, we do. 
Then we go to another extreme, but that's another story. So what we have done here is we have taken what we call a soft complementarian viewpoint here that we've just uh, uh, finished working on, and that is very simple. If God's given you a gift, we want you to use it. But we also want you to grow in character. We want you to be able to, how would I say, receive from others. That's, that's one of the things about love. It, it's, it's able to receive from others. You know, there's a time that, and it's not that long ago. It's maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe even less. And you'd look out on the assembly and you see all of the people there and you look at the people and you say, it's good. Well, that's, that's Mary Beth. Mary Beth, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, Mary Beth, you don't do anything here at the church, do you? Well, what, what do you do? You, well, you come every Sunday. You're faithful. You're sitting in that chair every Sunday, same chair. Mary Beth, thank you for coming. That's good. No one even asked Mary Beth. Mary Beth, What's your, what, what did God called you to do? Maybe Mary Beth will say, I don't know. And then we should say, okay, Mary Beth, let's see. Let's see if we can work together and find out what God's calling is on your life because we believe that God's called and knows what he's doing and that he put you, and he didn't just put you in that chair. He gives you something to do, whether it's inside this church or outside this church. You have a ministry. Do you realize that according to Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that each and every one of us is a minister of God? That God places the people in the church exactly where he wants them? And then what do we do in the church? Church looks out and says, okay, good. Uh, you know, maybe you ought to do the floors, vacuum the floors. Nothing wrong with that, mind you. Nothing's wrong with doing service in the church and doing many, many things. But meanwhile, if you understand that gift, then it has much more value to you, but also to others. Why? Well, think about it this way. I always use this uh, illustration of uh, the hospital down in Dallas that did the first heart transplant. And I had the opportunity to share this when I had gone through and they put a heart valve in me uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, I don't know. So they gave me a new, new valve. Anyway, I'm in there and this little gal comes in and she is really looking down. She's like, you know, like, I've got to do this for it. And she's sweeping and she's mopping and all. And I'm watching her mop coming around my room there, mop. And I said, so, what do you do here? And she said, I clean. I said, really? Do you know why you clean? She said, my job. I said, let me tell you a story. And I told her about what happened to a person that was doing janitorial work when one of the people that was going down to the hospital there uh, where the heart transplant took place, trying to see how they were set up, what they were doing. And when they were there, this guy comes walking in and he sees them in the operating room and he's mopping. And he says, so what do you do here? It was obvious, right? He's mopping. 
And the man says, we give people new hearts here. What? You mean the janitor gives people new hearts? Absolutely. And I said that to her. I said, no, no. You help people get well here because what you do kills germs, stops infection. You have an important job. You should have seen her face light up. It was like, wow, this, this revelation that this simple thing that I'm doing, that I'm dredging, she went out of there smiling. I wound up praying with her, but she went out of there happy as you can be. Why? Because I gave her a sense of value because that's exactly what she does. But that team in the hospital down there should have done that themselves if they were a good team. In other words, they should have told their employees, you matter, and here's why you matter. Because without you, we can't do these other fancy things that we get all credit for. And that's a fact. God needs every single person in the body of Christ. And he needs them to be active in the body of Christ. He needs them to be received and able to receive others. If you can't receive others, you're, you're just full of pride. That's it. So again, as I looked at Mary Beth there for years and years, and finally the Lord begins to talk to my heart from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and that verse that says, and he has placed everyone exactly as he wants them in the body of Christ. And you're looking out there, and you're making a judgment on people because they don't show up, they don't look that good, they look poor, they look rich, all the things you're not supposed to do. And yet, when you start coming down to it, God looks at us differently. There's not one person here today or watching on, online, not one of you is without purpose in God. Not one of you is unimportant. All of us are important. And we need to be able to come into a place where we can discover the thing, first of all, the fact, believe that you are important. Secondly, after you believe that you're important, the next thing to do is to, you know, see how you fit in. And if you're in leadership, our job is to let you know why you make a difference. And you make a difference. And by the way, you're not here to, how would I say, uh, let me be a star, so to speak, up on the platform or some preacher's star on the platform. What's that all about? No, I'm here to bring the word of God. I'm here to encourage you to be what God's called us to be. Not just me to be, but us to be. And that is the body of Christ that fills all in all. The only Jesus that anybody's going to see is in you, wherever you go. Whether it's in a supermarket or it's in a shopping, wherever you might be. Wherever you go, in the workplace, marketplace, however you want to put it, that's Jesus coming into that place. Now, if that's the case, then what's our obligation? Do we have an obligation? Yeah. Is there an expectation on our life from God? Yes. I once said this, and this other pastor said to me, God has no expectations for us. I said, really? I said, are you a father? Well, yeah. Do you have any expectations for your children? Well, yeah. 
I said, well, God's your father. I got news for you. He has expectations for you. He does. What are they? They're not what I tell you. They're what God will show you personally as you grow in your relationship with him and as he is able to grow inside of you, which means that we need to be vessels that are willing and yielded to Christ. That's how it's going to happen. It's not going to happen any other way. There's not going to be any magic bullet that you're going to get or come along or drink that you're going to drink and it's all going to be different. It's going to be Jesus working in you and through you. So, now here we go. We're finishing up here. Uh, Rome, we see that in uh, Acts that God uses women. And here's a surprise for us. Uh, in the apostles' greeting to the saints at Rome, the apostle Paul, we have a verse that has a bit of a surprise to those with an egalitarian view. Greet Andraconius and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are outstanding among what? I don't have that there. Among the apostles. What? Who are also were in Christ before me. Junius is the only woman that is called an apostle in the New Testament. You mean we had a woman apostle? Well, certainly men have to have something reserved for them, don't they? No. In this particular case, yes, a woman apostle, a woman teacher, a woman prophetess, a woman pastor, a woman evangelist. All of these things are possible. There is no gift that God is holding back. And so what I'm coming down to today is a very simple thing, and that is at the point is that with the complementarian approach that we take to women in ministry here on the basis of gifting it's God who calls, gifts, and anoints people for service. That's simple. It's that simple. And uh, we believe this view honors the Lord and encourages the church to use the whole body of Christ to accomplish its preordained calling. It also keeps and enables us to pursue the second uh, and of eight characteristics for healthy growth, which is gift-based ministry. We really believe that that's important. We don't want people um, doing things because they need to be done. How many of you have been in the church and you do things because you see it needs to be done? Now look, I walk in, I see junk out in the parking lot, there's paper out there, somebody, I pick it up. Somebody puts a cigarette butt up there, I pick it up. But that's not my job. Sure, I don't, that's fine. That, that's something I do. We just do it. But what you want people to do is work in the gift that they have. And what we're finding, if for those of you who are new here, from our old folks, older folks that have been here, we have every, folk, every person, we've gone through this whole thing several times, they are all laboring, I should say that, working, in the gifting that they have, and guess what? We don't have to recruit. Why? Because what do we have? We have you. We're only what you are. 
That's as simple as it is. That's the way God looks at it in Corinthians. That's how I look at it here. We are Amherst Christian Church or whatever we might call ourselves. We are the body of Christ, the local body of Christ. And we, once we recognize that, we can encourage each other a little bit more and find it. You don't get worn out when you're doing what God calls you to do. You don't get burned out. I can tell you now, I've been burned out more than once in, in this pastorate over the years. Why? Because I'm doing too much. I'm doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm a great big picture guy. I'm not a great administrator. Why? Can I administrate? Sure I can. But if I do administration, I can't do big picture. I don't do them well together. I got to do one or the other. I have to focus on what God's given me to do. And we all should do the same thing. So let me encourage you with that today.